Proverbs chapter 3, verses 27 through 35. I'm using the Pew Bible. It's page 555. That's weird. This morning it was 888, and this one is 555. What are the odds of that? Proverbs 3, verses 27 through 35. I'm a, I'm a big fan of Proverbs, um, and it's not one that I've... I've preached often. I, I teach, I did a series with the youth a few years ago going through this, um, and it's, it's an interesting, especially when you're doing multiple of them in a row, because a lot of the times they, they just seem super random. Uh, but this is one of the few sections in Proverbs where it all actually is kind of working together, making this overall point between uh, these eight verses. So uh, Proverbs 3, 27 through 35, I'll, I'll read these verses and, and we'll just kind of walk through them together. Uh, starting in verse 27, it says, When it is in your power, don't withhold good from the one to whom it belongs. Don't say to your neighbor, go away, come back later, I'll give it tomorrow, when it is there with you. Don't plan any harm against your neighbor, for he trusts you and lives near you. Don't accuse anyone without cause when he has done you no harm. Don't envy a violent man or choose any of his ways, for the devious are detestable to the Lord. But he is a friend to the upright. The Lord's curse is on the household of the wicked, but he blesses the home of the righteous. He mocks those who mock, but gives grace to the humble. The wise will inherit honor, but he upholds fools to dishonor. Let's say a prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for your grace this morning. Thank you for this evening. Thank you for your kindness. Thank you for uh, the, the verses that we have right here before us. These Proverbs that can offer us wisdom tonight. And I ask you, like you tell us in James chapter 1, if we need wisdom uh, to come to you and you will give it. I ask that you would give us all wisdom tonight as we look at these together. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Uh, have you ever been faced with an opportunity to do good for somebody? So someone comes to you, they have a need, uh, and you have this opportunity to do good for them. And in that very moment, you feel something inside of you, we believers would say the Holy Spirit, uh, pushing you to do that good thing. Amen. And at the same time, you feel something inside of you, we believers would call that the flesh, uh, telling you they don't need it. They don't deserve it. Or it's better for me to keep whatever it is they need for myself. Right? We've all felt that tension before. Someone has a need, and deep down we know in our heart it would be good to meet that need. But also deep down, there's that little bit of selfishness that wants to keep it for ourselves. Right? You guys, we've all experienced this tension at some point uh, in our lives. Um, I am a big Lord of the Rings fan. Anyone else? Anybody? You, you read the... No, maybe. I, I didn't know if this, this illustration would stick well or not. Uh, if you haven't read the books, if you haven't seen the movies, I encourage you to do so. Uh, it's a fantastic story, but not only because it's a fantastic story, but because there are many biblical truths and parallels that are laid all throughout them. 
Um, and there is a simple but famous quote uh, from the character Gandalf uh, in this story. I'm sounding real nerdy up here right now. Uh, but there, there's, there's, a <laughs> there's a famous quote uh, from Gandalf as he's having a conversation uh, with young Frodo Baggins. Frodo is facing the hardest thing that he's ever had to do to take the one ring of power to Mordor and to toss it into the volcano and to destroy it forever. And he's afraid, and while he's afraid, he says, I wish the ring had never come to me. I wish none of this had happened. And Gandalf, he responds saying, So do all who live to see such times. But that is not for them to decide. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given to us. And there is biblical principle behind that because no one in this room is guaranteed tomorrow, right? Right? No one in here is guaranteed tomorrow. All we have is today and the time right now. And all we have to decide is what to do with the time that's given to us. And within that time, there's probably going to be moments where someone has need. Any moment, any opportunity, every chance we have, we're faced with a choice. And that choice is going to be whether we grasp on to the opportunities to do good and help people and love people so that the gospel can move forward and God's kingdom can be advanced, or we can choose to be selfish. He starts out verse 27. Solomon says, When it is in your power, don't withhold good from the one to whom it belongs. Jesus summed up the entire law in two commandments. It's evening service, so we can shout out here. Jordan's established that. What are the two commandments that Jesus summed up the entire law in? Love God and love your neighbor as yourself. That's how Jesus summed up the entire law. Love God and love your neighbor as yourself. A truly faithful person will care for and love God and will care for and love people. And honestly, that is, is the core heart of Christianity and what it means to be a Christian. We talked about this in, in Sunday school morning with the youth. Uh, Jesus says, you'll know a tree by what? Its fruit, right? You will know a tree by its fruit. A good tree will bear good fruit, and a bad tree will bear bad fruit. A genuine faithful believer will bear good fruit. Well, bearing good fruit can be summed up in how Jesus summed up the law, loving God and loving your neighbor as yourself. A faithful believer will love God and will love his neighbor as himself. From the moment you become a Christian, your heart's changed. Your attitude is changed. The way you see the world is changed. Your outlook on life is changed. And if, you, if you've come to know Jesus Christ, you know exactly what I'm talking about because the power of Christ in the gospel transcends through our hearts and makes a difference in our lives. Everything's now different, and if those changes have truly happened, you'll see it in how you treat others when you have the opportunity to do good for them. So what Solomon is saying here is whenever it's in your power to do something good, never, ever pass up that opportunity. And you may ask, well, who does good belong to? Like, who is deserving of good? And the answer is simple, according to this passage, whoever needs it. Whoever needs it. And, and if we're all truly honest with ourselves, 
We all need it, right? We all need good. And Jesus Christ, our Lord, understood that. That's the reason he came. It's the reason he died for us, because we needed it. And we would all do well to remember that uh, whenever we're tempted to give someone the cold shoulder or we're tempted to turn a blind eye to someone who has a need. Whether it's because they look different than us or, or they're from a different economic status or whatever reason it is that we want to come up with that's really boiled down to selfishness, we must remember Jesus was good to us first. He saved us out of a pit that that we never could have saved ourselves from. Remember that and we can do good because the greatest good was first done for us. So the heart of the Christian, we, we must have compassion for those who are in need and for those who are owed by you. So this means if you owe someone money, you do what? You pay them back. If someone works for you, you pay them what they earned. It means taking care of your family, those who depend on you, giving to the church, giving to those who have less than you, giving to those who have nothing. If you see someone who needs something to get by and they don't have it, but you do have it, we need to have that giving heart. Verse 28, he says, Don't go to your neighbor. Don't say to your neighbor, Go away. Come back later. I'll give it tomorrow when it is there with you. Solomon's saying, Be good to your neighbor now, in the moment, right now. If you wait to do it later, there's a good chance it'll never happen. And really, deep in your heart, that's the reason you're saying, "Ah, come back later. You're hoping they'll forget, or or we're hoping that they they, uh, will meet the need through someone else rather than ourselves. That desire to do it later, it shows we're really being selfish, and we just want to hold on to our stuff a little bit longer. It's easy to offer someone help, when you can defer that help to the future, right? You say, oh, maybe next week. Call me next week, and, and if I can help you then. Or call me next month, and if I can help you then, I'll do it. It's easy to say that, but James chapter 2, uh, verses 15 and 16 says, If a brother or sister is without clothes and lacks daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, stay warm, and be well fed, but you don't give them what the body needs, what good is it? If someone has a need and you just send them on their way, what good is it? Be willing to give in the moment. Be willing to be selfless. Our society is so very materialistic. And really, it always has been. The society that this was written in was so materialistic. And we want to have and have and have. And the culture says, you deserve what you have. You deserve to keep it. It all belongs to you. Everything's me, me. Mine, mine, mine. We need to ask the Lord to to soften our heart when it comes to that mindset and be willing to give when someone has that need. Verse 29, Solomon says, Don't plan any harm against your neighbor, for he trusts you and he lives near you. The wisdom of God teaches us to treat others well. This is one of those moments where Solomon's saying, if you do this, it's probably going to work out well for you too, just like it's working out well for them. This is the benefit to your heart and obedience to God and shaping you to be a Christ-like person. And it's also a benefit to our well-being as people. If you take care of your neighbor, they're probably going to take care of you too someday, right? You guys have relationships like that where you have each other's back. You've been there for someone, and later on down the road, they've been there for you. You could all probably think of a a story like that where that worked out for you in that way. That's what Solomon is saying. He says, there's wisdom in this. Like, 
God put multiple people on the earth so that multiple people could help multiple people and everyone gets the benefit from it, right? God doesn't just throw out commands because he likes making a rule book. He does it because it actually makes a better life for his people. Not a promised life of health and wealth, but a life that's surrounded by his people, godly people that can be trusted. A life where you can take care of one another. There's this sort of this new age idea out there, and I've talked about it a handful of times before uh, preaching and, and with the kids. It's called, I call it, lone wolf Christianity. It's this type of Christianity uh, where people think they don't need anybody else. All they need is Jesus, which is absolutely true. Like, all you need is Jesus Christ for salvation. Uh, but it's this idea that they don't need to be a part of a local church. They don't need to be serving the Lord in a congregation. They don't need to be surrounded by God's people. It's just me and Jesus, and none of those other things matter. All that matters is that I believe the gospel. Scripture would demand that those other things do matter. It's important that you have God's people surrounded in your life. It's important that you have a local church that you can be a part of, that you can come here on a Sunday morning and a Sunday night and worship together. It's important that you have people who love Christ and are willing to meet the needs that you have and that you're willing to meet the needs they have. These are important. And Proverbs here would say the people around you and the relationships with God's people, it matters. Trust between God's people matters. The trust that we have with each other in this room right now, it matters. The local church is called to be united for the gospel, right? We're called to be united, and we can't be united if we can't trust each other. And if we can't trust each other, then that will lead to division, and a divided church will never help the gospel. It will only hinder the gospel. We need to live a life that builds trust with God's people, not to harm anyone, only to help. That's what Solomon's saying here. And the place to start building that trust is trusting Christ together and meeting one another's needs as Christ leads us to. When you see the start of the New Testament church in Acts, uh, at the beginning, the end of Acts chapter 2, it says that everyone met everyone's needs. Like they shared all their belongings together. They all had all things in common. If, if someone had a need, someone was going to bring it to the temple and make sure that that need was given to whoever needed it. Like that, was, that was how the church started and how the church flourished was that they all met each other's needs. They worked together to take care of God's people. In verse 30, Solomon says, Don't accuse anyone without cause when he has done you no harm. What he's essentially saying here is don't get involved in meaningless arguments. Don't waste your time with meaningless accusations and disagreements when you really don't have any good reason to do so. That means we should never let jealousy or envy or pride or insecurities or anything of that nature give us an excuse to treat others badly or to cause division or withhold help from someone who needs it. Those reasons are selfish, they are ungodly, and, and really there are only a few biblical reasons a division should ever occur between professing believers. One is if someone is proclaiming or promoting a message that opposes gospel truth. Another is when someone is knowingly and habitually sinning and they're not willing to repent for their sin. Like Those are really the only two times I can think of where like, there's going to be some division there that can't be worked out. If one of those two things isn't happening, division should not be happening. 
And for the sake of the gospel, we must be united in our efforts to spread that gospel. And whenever we're tempted to have an issue with someone uh, without proper cause, we need to ask, is this worth hurting the Great Commission? Like, is it worth this, this meaningless argument? Is it worth it to hurt the Great Commission? Is this disagreement worth hurting the Great Commission? Is this accusation worth hurting the Great Commission? And I would bet most of the time the answer is no, it's not worth it. These verses so far, they all fall under the second greatest commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. Who is your neighbor? I think the better question to ask yourself is, who are you? Who are you? You can ask yourself and try to answer who your neighbor is all day long, but then you still have a decision to make about what to do about it. Rather, ask yourself, who are you going to be? Are you going to be selfish and greedy? Or are you going to be good and merciful like the good Samaritan and aim to take care of people who have needs? Are you going to be willing to be kind and compassionate to others, no matter their race, their background, social status, political party, belief system, Loving your neighbor is not contingent on your neighbor being a person that you approve of. They're not. Like Jesus said, love your neighbor, period. There's no contingency that comes with that saying, well, make, sure, like, make sure things check out before you, you do something good for them. No, he just says, love your neighbor. That's it. Loving your neighbor is contingent upon the command of Christ and that all people need him. That's it. That's the contingency. Everyone needs Jesus Christ. And that's why Christ says to love everyone. I I read a news article today uh, about an Uber driver. Uh, I think this was last week or earlier. Whenever that big snowstorm came and there was that that long uh, miles of cars that got all stuck on I-95. But this Uber driver, he goes to pick up a girl uh, after her train home was canceled because of the snow. So he goes to pick her up, um, and when he gets to her, they end up getting stuck in this traffic because of the snowstorm. And while they're stuck in this traffic, it, it ended up adding hours to their trip. And so he makes sure that she has food and that she has water. He had it in his car. I don't know if that's part of the job or what, but he made sure that she had food and that she had water while they were stuck in this car. He gave up his food and he gave up his water for her. And luckily, he got to a point that moved along enough to where he could get an exit uh, and he communicated with the parents of this girl. She was, she was a teenager. Uh, he communicated with the parents and he ended up dropping her off at a hotel uh, and he paid for her to have a hotel room so she could be safe so she could be warm until her parents showed up to be able to pick her up. He also offered the next day uh, to drive her home free of charge if, if that's something that her parents uh, wanted to happen. Now, I don't know the condition of this man's faith or what he believes, but that is an example of selflessness that Christians could live out. He didn't consider his food his own. He didn't consider his water his own. He had just as much need as she did in that moment while they were, they were stuck on the road. But he didn't consider it his own. He didn't consider his money his own. He gave up his money so that she could be safe and be warm. He didn't consider his car his own. He was willing to go back and drive her the next day free of charge. Because someone had a need, he was able to meet it, and he was willing to meet it. And that should be our heart too. If we are able, then we should be willing. 
We should always be willing. Uh, and when we're able, we should do it. These last few verses here, they, they transition into Solomon giving a clear picture of what the righteous life looks like and what the wicked life looks like. And he's going to tell us, be careful, choose wisely. Verses 31 and 32, he says, Don't envy a violent man or choose any of his ways, for the devious are detestable to the Lord, but he is a friend to the upright. The way of the wicked, it, if we're honest and we can be honest, the way of the wicked often seems like a good road to take, right? Like we've all had moments where you see the wicked road, you know it's the wicked road, but you think, seems better. Like, it seems easier, and oftentimes it is easier, right? You, you, we've had that moment before. Maybe it's what's pop, popular. Maybe it's what will make you feel good about yourself. Maybe you don't want to be left out. Whatever it is, like, we can't let those things be excuses. We can't desire the path of the wicked. And Solomon says, desire the path of godliness. And the way that I think we can do this is to know what God has said in his word about Godliness. David, in the psalm, says that he meditated on the Word day and night. He knew God's Word well enough. Psalm 119.11 says that he hid it in his heart so that he wouldn't take the path of the wicked. Like When we see verses like that, it's just screaming about the power of God's Word. If we don't know what God's Word says about wickedness and righteousness, we're always going to make the wrong choice. We have to know. It's going to take dedication to meditating on Scripture day and night, to hiding it in our hearts so that we might not sin against God. Verse 32 explains that the devious are detestable to the Lord. That's not light wording. You come across a few verses like this with this really strong wording about how God feels towards evil people. He's not playing around. Your lifestyle, it matters to God. But it also says he is a friend to the upright. And this should be comforting to Christians, right? As righteous people, God is a friend to us. And he's the best friend that we could ever have. He loves us. He guides us. He helps us. He listens to us. He gives us hope. He's a provider. He gives us strength and encouragement. He is a friend that died for us, and the day's coming when our friend calls us home. Amen. The Lord is a friend to the upright and to the righteous. Verse 33, the Lord's curse is on the household of the wicked, but he blesses the home of the righteous. Here's another comparison of how the Lord treats the wicked and how he treats the righteous. The wicked house is cursed by the Lord. And this is interesting because the house of the wicked may often seem physically blessed, right? Like, have you, have you ever seen someone who's just living in sin, but they seem to have, like, all their dreams answered that they could have on this earth? They seem to be rich, and maybe they're famous, and maybe they, 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 they just seem to have everything that has been handed to them. And you kind of go, why are they having these, like, these earthly blessings if they're living so evil, Oftentimes it seems like evil people are the ones who are prospering, but even on those wicked houses, God's curse and judgment is on them. Giving them over to their own sinfulness, giving them over to their own wicked ways, their selfish ways, and those houses, you know they're cursed because those houses lack joy in Christ. 
Those houses lack community with God's people. Those houses lack true love that can only be found in the gospel. But the Lord's blessing is on the house of the righteous. This is the home that loves their neighbor as their self, the home that gives cheerfully, that treats others kindly, faithfully trusts in God. The Lord blesses these homes with faith, with comfort, with rest when needed, with true joy, with hope, with fellowship with God's people. This passage is screaming, if you want your home to be blessed by God, trust in Christ today. Verse 34 says, He mocks those who mock, but gives grace to the humble. James chapter 4 says this in another way. Does anyone know it? God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. This shows how when we let pride rule us, the desire to be liked, to be right, to be better, to be praised, when, when those things are rooted in our hearts, we are set in opposition to God. And those who oppose God will be opposed by God. He will oppose those who are prideful, but when we humble ourselves and we come before Him, when we acknowledge the weaknesses and the failures and the sin in our lives, He will show us grace, the greatest grace that we could ever receive, eternal salvation from sins. And and a life of pride, it's only going to result in an eternity of opposition from God. But humility will welcome you into the kingdom forever. We see this kind of humility with the the thief on the cross, right? Like he's up there. Uh, Jesus is in the middle. He's got a thief on both sides of him. Uh, And this thief, one of them starts to mock Jesus. And he's saying, you're not really the son of God. If you were the son of God, you would bring yourself down from here and you'd bring us with you. Come on, prove it. And he's kind of mocking Jesus and he's testing Jesus. And the other thief responds saying, do you not fear God? We are totally deserving of this punishment, but Jesus, that man, in the middle, he has done nothing wrong. And then he asks Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus says, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. That's one of those stories, I get goosebumps every time I hear that, because it's such a powerful representation of the gospel One thief opposed God, and he was opposed by God. But the other thief humbled himself, and he received the greatest gift of grace he ever had. Paradise. Verse 35, the wise will inherit honor, but he upholds fools to dishonor. Many times it seems like the wicked is exalted. I mentioned that a minute minute ago. We might be left wondering why wicked people so often seems so blessed why everything goes well for those who live sinful lifestyles. But I want you to be encouraged uh, if you've had that discouragement before. Be encouraged that whatever exaltation they seem to have, that's only temporary. And God is a just God. He gives encouragement to those who are wise, those who pursue wisdom, those who fear God and trust God and trust Christ for forgiveness, those who are obedient to Christ, who love them neighbor, their neighbors as themselves, if we do this, we will inherit that honor that Solomon's talking about. And that honor will be eternity with God and his family, his people, blessed beyond anything that we could imagine. And this verse here, this last one, it mentions the fool will be dishonored by God. Maybe you're, you're wondering when you hear that, how can I be sure that I'm not the fool? 
Scripture speaks often of the fool, and, and the following comes directly from Scripture. The fool says there is no God. The fool fly, finds pleasure in wickedness. The fool is easily annoyed. The fool despises understanding and loves their own opinions. The fool is quick to argue. The fool only trusts in themselves. Don't be a fool in this life. We can recognize our weakness through the power of Scripture. We can rely on the strength of Christ through the power of Scripture. We can trust in Christ through the power of Scripture. We can be humble. And just as the first half of this passage has taught us, through all things, through each and every single day, we can love God and we can love our neighbor as ourselves. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the wisdom uh, that is in these eight verses. I pray that as we go upon this week, we would uh, dwell on the, the scripture that we've looked at today, that we would think about the paralyzed man who you forgave because of his faith, that we would think about uh, the power that you displayed in that miracle, and how you are a good, kind, powerful God. I pray that we would think about these verses about what the wicked life looks like and what a righteous life looks like. And I pray that you and your spirit this week uh, would guide us to go through the straight and narrow. Amen. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.